Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, number one dad. I'm holding the uh, custom-made wooden coaster that says so right here. Nobody else has this. It's custom-made. You can all claim you're the number one dad, but I have the proof right there. That's that's impressive, Jay. And we are always listening, by the way. Uh, But... Uh, it is not as cool as one of the, I got a bunch of awesome things for Father's Day. Here's my favorite one though. My youngest daughter uh, Nola made me a card that said, "I'm dear Dad. I'm so sorry for all the times I peed in your bed." <laughs> Love <laughs> Nola. <laughs> uh, now, see, my niece tried to challenge my number one dad status, and I said, "No, no, no, no." She's like, "Look, my dad right there. He's got the card that says best dad." I was like, "No." He is the best dad. He's not the number one dad. That's me. And then my sister-in-law said, look at my father's mug. It says number one dad. He's had that for years. He's had that before you were even born. Or probably you were like two years old. And I was like, "Eh, that's a mug that was mass produced, sent everywhere, not custom made with love. No. Also, it's it's outdated, right? I mean, he yeah. he might have been the number one dad at the time, but like times, they are a changing. I have taken over. So right here, Jay Soderberg, number one dad. All you other dads, you can come for it. You ain't getting it. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo, woo. Um, <laughs> Jay, we've got a uh, we've got a really interesting news story that I was surprised by when you first brought it up to me earlier. And then as we began to sort of talk about it a little bit, it got even more interesting. Uh, Headline, and you can find the full article in the show notes, but the headline is from Rain News. Libsyn shareholder complains of executive compensation and calls for a new board. Uh, You were talking about this uh, when we first got connected this morning and you were on and on and oh the Libsyn situation and the shareholders and, and I'm like what are you what are you talking about I totally overlooked it it has not been widely reported uh, this article came out on the 13th so uh, not quite a week ago now we learned from pod news that Libsyn one of the largest and most established podcasting hosting companies is undergoing tumult one of its beneficial owners the six percent shareholder group kmac so this is a, a, a mutual fund basically they own six percent of Libsyn in. Uh, They are calling for a special stockholder meeting to revise or replace the board of directors. The dissatisfaction appears to center around executive compensation. Um, And you and I went back and forth a little bit about the reasons, but here is their argument. They say that the CEO, Christopher Spencer, and the CFO, John Bushouse, have been paid too much, basically. not their, their salaries and bonuses are not commiserate with the amount of revenue and particularly the profit that Libsyn is taking in. Uh, they said that the CEO made $400,000 in salary, $800,000 in bonus this year, and Bushouse made $350,000 in salary and $700,000 in bonus. Uh, and the KMAC filing states that that total adds up to 59% of Libsyn's income. Now, what is not clear based on their filing is is are they referencing profit or revenue seems to indicate profit income is a strange word there i wish they had said profit or revenue but i believe they mean the top line profit what after the expenses what is libsyn making and they're saying that almost 60 percent of it is going to these two executives that's a big chunk jay that's what it sounds like. Now, this was a story that you mentioned was in our show notes for quite some time for us to sort of get to at some point. This is actually reported 
uh, I think even maybe months ago in pod news, uh, that this was happening. And then it was re-reported here just last week. Uh, I didn't bring it up because I've had some experience in this regard when I was at ESPN and Roy Disney was on the board of directors and he also tried to stage a coup. He's Roy Disney tried twice, once with uh, Eisner and then another time with Bob Iger to sort of re redo the board of directors and, and change the direction of the Disney company. Both times failed because uh, essentially the brother of the founder of the company could not garner enough shareholders to be on his side. Uh, that's what it all comes down to. And when I hear that a 6% shareholder, who's not even a person, it's a it's a group of people, is looking to try and do the same thing with Libsyn, uh, these things most likely usually fail, which is why they're actually usually never reported on in the first place, because it's, it's something that uh, I'm sure if you were to talk to Rob Walsh, he'd probably say, well, it's uh, it's nothing. Uh, they're, they're going to fail. It's not going to be any big deal. But essentially, it's something to remember that Libsyn is a publicly traded company. All of their information is available publicly through the SEC. You can go online and find exactly what their revenue is. You can, And we reported on quarter one revenue on this particular podcast when revenue earnings were being announced. So this isn't something that that is a big secret. It can't be held a big secret because it's a publicly traded company. I brought this up because we recently had another acquisition occur in the podcasting space. Triton Digital has acquired Omni. Omni is an Australian company. Why is that a big deal? Well, Triton Digital is a very trusted ad service group to big broadcasters in the United States. Omni is the one hosting company that a lot of big broadcasters are trusting because Jacobs Media, who is the biggest and most trusted consultants in the broadcasting industry, have been pushing all of their clients to go and use the Omni product. Uh, just to give you a list of who is using Omni from the big broadcasting side of, uh, of things, Cumulus Media, which is part of Westwood One, Entercom, MediaCore, Southern Cross Asteria, which is essentially all of Australia, Chorus Entertainment, which is essentially all of Canada, Mashable, Arabian Radio Network, and Mamma Mia. I don't know who Mamma Mia is or how they ended up on this list of big broadcasters, but congratulations, Mamma Mia. You got another mention on another on another news outlet, if you want to call us news. Have we decided? Are we news? Is that what we're going with? <laughs> so I bring this up because the the widening of big broadcasters and independent, I'll just say independent podcasters, I won't say small podcasters, independent podcasters and big broadcasters is widening even further and quicker than I think we even realize. Like it's the money that is being poured into this industry is happening, but it ain't trickling down to the independent podcasters. Mama Mia, by the way, here's a little hot take follow-up for you. Uh, Australia's largest independent women's media group. That's huh? what it is. Uh, they're a website. They were founded in 2007, uh, opinion and lifestyle website. But now you can read, listen, watch, and start the conversation on news, entertainment, opinion, kids, style, TV, and more. Uh, so that's that's uh, their claim to fame. Uh, 1.3 million likes on Facebook. Um, yeah, so here's the thing. I tend to agree with you and I tend to think of Libsyn as a very well-run company and yet if you look at the moves that are being made in the space as a whole 
And if the drumbeat from the board is we're moving steadily and slowly and our our plan was already a good one. We don't need to shift gears based on what the rest of the industry is doing. That would be fine, <laughs> except, again, I feel like the combination of the sort of conservative nature of Libsyn's game plan and the large amount of money that's going to those two guys, I could see why this argument could win a lot of folks in the room. I, it's, it'll be interesting to see what the success is and what the results of it are. Omni you know, hasn't been one, around for that long either. And think about no. how long Anchor hasn't been along for that long. And they were purchased for what some would say is probably an overprice by Spotify. Well, and it, it was interesting to me at the time, and we talked about it on this show even, the valuation of Anchor as the tech stack compared to the valuation of Gimlet as the creative stack, so to speak, you know, and the, I mean, it was completely outsized. Gimlet was more than double what, or almost double what uh, Anchor was worth in their in their estimation there. Um, but still, I, I don't know. Libsyn is like, we talk about Apple a lot as a slumbering giant in that if they would just get activated for good or ill, lots of different things would change in the industry and the medium. I would say the same thing about Libsyn. I do feel like in many ways, look how long it took them to redesign their back end for stats. That had been a complaint for years and years and years as basically every other media hosting company had a much more pleasant UI for the interaction of your stats, for your show statistics. Libsyn finally overhauled that and it looks quite nice now. Same thing with their media player, you know, their embedded player. There was a lot of stagnation there for a long time. Finally, that's been corrected. But Jay, you brought something up to me that I didn't even realize. They own a website media hosting company. Yeah. Libsyn does. Mm -hmm. They own a company called Payer. So if I'm shopping with Libsyn and I'm hosting my media there and I want a broader package of services, whereas my clients, for instance, if they need web hosting, a lot of times I'll push them towards Blueberry because of their tight integration with WordPress. You're telling me that Libsyn's got tight integration with a company that they own, and yet mm -hmm. I didn't know that. It's not anywhere on their website. Why not push forward and and tell podcasters about the different services that you offer. We're supposed to get this amazing new ad platform from Libsyn this year. You know, I mean that's we assume the reason why they brought on Rob Greenley in many reasons and in, in many ways. And yet, why did it take so long? You know, Blog Talk Radio was doing it 6 years ago. Uh and Spreaker has adopted that technology and has been doing it well for a couple of years now. Blueberry has uh, uh, uh some some uh ad options. Uh Acasts of the world, the audio booms of the world. All these smaller players were able to do it nimbly move in that direction. Again, Libsyn doesn't have to push all of their user base into it. It's not like you got to rock the boat, but just offer it. Put it on your website. Say, "Hey, have you ever thought about ads? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about web hosting?" If Libsyn, and we'll even bring up Blueberry, are going to be the flag planters of the independent podcasters, they have to start working faster to take care of the independent podcasters, or podcasting will lose. The independent podcasters will lose to big broadcaster, and podcasting as we know it is going to change. We've mentioned numerous times, Apple has not made a cent directly from podcasting. Google has yet to make a cent directly from podcasting. 
Spotify has kind of yet to make a scent directly from podcasting, but they've got plans and they've already started to unleash some of those plans. Uh, it was just recently announced that they are allowing big sponsors to start targeting podcast listeners, except that's only going to be for the big corporate sponsors. It's not going to be for the little guy. It's not, you're not going to be able to jump into the Spotify marketplace and, and purchase ads for your podcast. No, 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 that's, that's not going to happen. And this is going to be one of those things that we've talked about before where the dichotomy is going to be big podcasters are going to be on this app. Independent podcasters may only be on this app. And which app is going to end up winning out when it comes to reaching that mainstream audience that's not listening to podcasting yet? Interesting times. Interesting times. I don't think, and we've said this uh, before, we'll say it again, I do not think the independent podcaster is in any danger. You just need to be nimble. You need to, to keep your head on a swivel, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> you know, and and be, um, be willing to roll with the punches and uh, and adjust with the times. I do think that Libsyn or Blueberry or whoever stands in their wake <laughs> in years to come will be there to serve the independent podcaster. I do think that it's likely that the idea of being able to just host a show that, that you like and pay for it directly and not put any ads in it and whatever, I think that's still going to be available. The question is, Will the directories change over time as this ad solution continues to be adopted by the larger companies, as more of these companies decide exactly what their particular plan is? Do the directories stratify not only in the back end of the industry, but the actual presentation to listeners? That's, well, I think, the worry for some podcasters. Well, I will just add about that, Libsyn. I agree with you if they stay the course that they're currently on. However, if we play the what if, if Marvel's what if decided to do an episode and KMAC succeeds, I don't think that would be the same. And if you look at where the revenues are coming from, specifically with Libsyn, it's from host subscriptions. It's not from advertising and it's not from podcast websites. It's from host subscriptions. So if you're making a majority of your money from that and the biggest players in the business are the big broadcasters and you're not bringing in the big broadcasters because now they're all going over to the Triton service on Omni, that's where things start to get dicey for the independent podcaster. Again, nothing to be worried about. Todd Cochran is, has now moved to the mainland. Uh, and that's obviously to focus more on the business side of things. Uh, so, so there's still at least one other person out there who's, who's trumpeting the, the, the little guy. But at the same time, money will talk. <laughs> and if Todd were given the right amount of money, he said it on, I'm not speaking out of turn. I'm not, and I'm not Todd Cochran. I'm not speaking for Todd Cochran, but Todd Cochran has said, if the money was right, he would gladly listen to any sort of offer, but the money's got to be right. And now that he's got an anchor and an omni to compare to 
his number is going to be, I can tell you right now, will be way higher than what those two companies have received. I, f- I feel like it goes up literally every day. I, f- I feel like he <laughs> wakes up in the morning, pours a hot cup of coffee, checks the, the headlines and goes, mm, yeah, let me bump that up a couple of zeros there. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a good time to own a hosting company. It is absolutely a good time to own a hosting company. It will be interesting to see how it shakes out. I do absolutely think there are a lot of players in this in the space, a lot of smaller, nimble players. And so again, they see the success and the continued steady business of of a company like Libsyn, of Blueberry. So even if those companies go away, even if this complete stratification that we're sort of discussing happens, someone will enter the space to fill that niche. They're, the independent podcaster will be taken care of. Do not worry about that. If that's what you want, you can continue to do it. What's interesting to me is, as we we talk a lot about bringing in that next million listeners or next hundred million listeners, same thing. The next you know hundred thousand podcasters that start podcasting for the first time, I think many of them will be pushed over the hump of actually taking the dive and and beginning the creative process because of the more steady on-ramp to potential monetization that comes through this change in our industry. Like if you look at it, it is a little bit the YouTubeization of podcasting, right? It looks like we're going to end up having maybe three or four different marketplaces instead of the one website and one service as we have with YouTube for video. Maybe we'll have a Spotify and an Apple and a whoever, maybe a Pandora or something as the big directories that people are using. And then a bunch of independents that fill out that big circle and your podcast can go anywhere in there. And no matter what your desire is on that show to spend a little money and make it a hobby, to make a little money and make it a hobby that doesn't cost you anything, those options will be there for you depending upon what company you want to go with and which you know approach you want to take to your show. I, I see options, not dead ends, I guess is what I'm saying. Fair enough. Uh, the interest it's just something to be aware of is is our point here i guess like i had not even noticed this story you had kept your eye on it but sort of thought it was nothing but as you put all the pieces together i don't know maybe it's a little something let's watch and see what happens and again uh, kmac doesn't have to be successful in the takeover i don't think to affect the direction of libsyn right like also you true. could win over shareholders and change the direction of the board of directors without actually changing the makeup of the board of directors. Also true. Also true. Why don't we move to this podcast business journal? Where are consumers listening to podcasts, Jay? Yeah. So this was a story uh, that a lot of the podcast newsletters have put out. We uh, are using the podcast business journal link here, um, which says, according to the ratings firm Nielsen, Washington, D.C. is the number one market for podcast listening. Nielsen's Audio's Portable People Meter, which, if you don't know, is a little device that looks a little bit like a cell phone. I don't know if they've changed it these days, if it's smaller or not. I know that was a big problem in the early days of the Portable People Meter is that people thought it was just too big. Uh, But it collected data in the 48 largest radio markets. Uh, if you don't know what the list of the markets are, you can go and Google it, but I can tell you New York and LA are one in two in terms of, uh, market size. They are the largest markets, uh, that are out there. Uh, according to Nielsen's portable people meter percent total of 
people on this panel, six plus, who have ever listened to a podcast say that the number one place listening to podcasts is Washington, D.C., followed by Seattle, Tacoma, and number two, Salt Lake City at number three, Portland, Oregon at number four, Minneapolis, St. Paul at number five. I hope you're getting where I'm going with this. Raleigh, Durham at number six, Austin at number seven, Nashville at number eight, Middlesex, Somerset Union, which is New Jersey, number nine, and San Jose at number 10. Nowhere on that list is New York, which is essentially the, the capital of podcasting, and L.A., the capital of comedy podcasting. So the two things that I'll say real quick there, at first I was startled too, but read it again. It's percentage of listeners, right? The percentage of people tested here that say they've ever listened to a podcast. It's not raw numbers. If you just looked at the raw numbers, how many people have ever listened to a podcast out of these Nielsen things? I bet New York and LA would be at least in the top five, if not one and two, just because of the sheer size of those markets. But this is about the percentage of the market that's into podcasting. And for that, I think DC makes total sense. If you think about the DC uh, uh, metro area, the kinds of industries that are there, the combination of uh, government, of course, being the primary employer, but then all of the large tech industries and uh, businesses that feed off of that government dollar, all of that is going to be highly educated, highly paid largely I said heavily white let's say uh in those industries which means they're podcast listeners like I that's just like the demographics um particularly they're going to be listening to politics podcasts a lot but they're also going to be listening to comedy podcasts to come down off of that and then the storytelling podcasts like the NPR stuff we know that audience likes a lot too same thing with Seattle Tacoma that's a very artsy city uh it's like heavily into the storytelling I think they've got a very uh, public radio um you know scene there. Uh, I think that that's totally makes sense. So like the one that's on here that's surprising to me, honestly, is Nashville. I, I like I think of Nashville as such a music town, both for country, obviously, but also it's a great rock and roll town, too. Um, I, I just feel like more people would be listening to the radio and to to, uh, you know, streaming music <laughs> or something there. I can't imagine that they're up to 42 percent almost 42 percent of, of the people in the uh, city have listened to podcasts but again it's a very urban young hip it's um, a fast upwardly city. mobile yeah so i, I get uh, if that's the thing that all of these cities have in common is they're very upwardly mobile they're very they're younger uh, demographically speaking um you know they're generally high paying tech jobs and uh you know other businesses like that so i i think I think the list makes sense when you think about it like that. I will say, as a guy who comes from radio, I think the portable people meter is nonsense. I think yeah. I think it's it's only slightly better than the than the journal that we used to fill out, you know, like the little diary. Cause everybody watched hours and hours of PBS and nobody ever watched Maury Povich uh when you did the Nielsen TV ratings, you know. So I think people I think people misreport and I, I don't know how much they carry these little boxes around. As you said, they used to be very large and, and unwieldy. Um, but I don't know. I think all people also were excited to be part of the, the rating system and they're excited to be a Nielsen family or whatever. So maybe they do take it uh, very seriously. I know the one time that I got to do TV, 
I was jacked up to get my little book and to keep my diary of everything that I watched. And I was diligent about doing so honestly. Uh, although I also made a point to watch all the shows that I really liked that week live, whereas I don't always do that. But I was like, I got to write them down. I got to I got to do it anyway. So take this all with a grain of salt. I always yeah, I always wanted to do it. And then the one time that I was asked to be a Nielsen family, I worked at ESPN and I was thus disqualified from uh, working. Washington, D.C., by the way, the number seven uh, media town, uh, according to Nielsen. Uh, Seattle is number 14. And I'm trying to look for some of these other ones that uh, Nashville, 29. Uh, and... I want. I really want that New Jersey one. Where Where are they? They even have to be way, way down here. They're not even in the top one hundred. At least I didn't see them in a quick glimpse. Oh well. Anyway, I'm glad you just, were here to give us the geography on that one, by the way, because I had no clue where Middlesex Somerset Union was. Yeah, Never heard of that one. New Jersey. All right then. Interesting to me, and I I do think that uh, it is a. Well, it just confirms what we already thought we know about the demographics of podcasting, I think, in general, Jay. That's that's what I took away from that. Yeah, it just – it's it, – it, if it's percentage, I sort of see it now. But even, even at a percentage, I, I still think that there's a higher percentage listening in New York and L.A. that they didn't make the top 10. That's just odd to me. But anyway, that's why we question these things. That's why we put it out there. We, we indeed always indeed. always ask why whenever when it comes to anything just ask why and you'll find a, you'll find an answer you probably don't want to find <laughs> uh jay let's talk about uh art 19 and google podcasts uh this is from pod news why would anyone not want to be on google Podcasts, jay yeah i don't i don't understand this at all so art 19 apparently has made a number of updates to their service including one that allows publishers to block their podcast from appearing in Google Podcasts. Um, according to what James Cridlin, who is the writer of the Pod News and the editor, uh, we spoke with a few publishers at Podcast Day, and it sounds like some want to remove podcast play buttons from appearing within Google Search while still allowing them in Google Podcasts itself. This option, however, would entirely remove podcasts from all Google products. And I don't quite understand why they wouldn't want to be part of Google Podcasts unless it's about controlling the information that you're getting about that audience member and they're only clicking play on your website. The the second line, the second group there, we spoke with a few publishers at Podcast Day and it sounds like some want to remove podcast play buttons from appearing within search while still allowing them in Google Podcasts itself. I think that is probably the point for most of these publishers. And I, I, this is a guess, this is an assumption on my part, but I would imagine, because I've heard it from some independent podcasters as well, they say, okay, it's cool, Google's going to put play buttons in, in Google search results. That's awesome. Except that, isn't the point to drive them to our website? Don't you guys always say, make your landing page your website, my.com you know, mydomain.com slash podcast and, and everybody goes there. And then all of the things that I want people to do potentially with my show are there. They can play it. They can subscribe to it. They can listen to it on all the different apps. They can sign up for my newsletter. They can join my Patreon. They can send me PayPal dollars if they want to, whatever. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? If that's what we're supposed to do, drive them to your domain. 
Well, then why do I want them to hit a play button right there in Google search results and never even go to my content? We were talking um, earlier off air, Jay, about Spotify moving to the episodes in playlists of podcasts, not show, not pushing a whole show on you, but saying, hey, here's an episode of this, and then here's an episode of something different that has a theme maybe or that flows. And do we want them to be moving from content to content, or do we want to try to maintain the connection directly? I think I think that might be the answer. I would I would tell people you want to have a circular symbiotic relationship where Yes, in a perfect blue sky world, you want to push all of your audience to your own website so that you can control to a degree their listening experience. However, if they discover you from Google, then you want to have the ability to push them from Google back to your website so that it's a symbiotic sort of circular relationship. You you never want to push them to just one place without knowing that the other place exists. You want to push them to that one place. You're, the main reason why you're pushing them to your website is because that's the easiest way to market your show. Like you're not, you don't have to worry about, do I promote a Google link? Do I promote an Apple link? Do I promote a Spotify link? You push them to your website. They can choose which service serves them best in terms of a subscription, which is ultimately also what you want. You want them to automatically download your show without having to let them know, hey, a new episode's available, go get it. You just want them to one day turn on their their device and, oh, boom, there's the newest episode of Always Listening. Fantastic. I've got it. I don't have to worry about uh, checking out the Twitter feeds of Joel or Jay or the Facebook page of Always Listening Pod. I don't have to worry about any of that. It's right there. Boom. I've got it. So you just want to make sure that it's circular. So again, I get it. Like if they if they found your podcast, they did a Google search, they found your podcast, they clicked the play button on Google. Perhaps that's not the best way to get that information. But again, the only place that that's going to be a disservice to you, and again, if you're a larger publisher, I can see this, is that you're not going to get all that juicy information about who that person specifically is, where that person is specifically located, because all of that information goes back to the advertisers that you can then say, hey, this is my audience. This is whom you're targeting. This is who should be getting these ads. I also bring that up. Well, you could also retarget them. You could retarget them, Jay, as, as the media publisher, right? If you're the New York Times right. and you come to my website once, I can then put Facebook ads and Twitter ads and an Instagram ad so that I'm, you're reminded, hey, you should come back and listen to more of that podcast that you like from the New York Times website. I can't do that if you just hit my play button in Google. Now, I also bring that up because I'm not sure if it's related. It probably isn't. But I bring it up anyway, uh, because I recently learned that while Blueberry is IAB certified, not every service that they report stats from are IAB certified, such as Spotify. So the stats that you get from Blueberry are presented as separate. You have the Blueberry IAB certified listens, and then you have Spotify listens, which are not IAB certified. Very important distinction there. So the listens that you're getting from Spotify do not follow the constructs set out, the standards set out by the IAB. And while Blueberry presents this as two different types of listening, although very underreported that Spotify was not IAB certified, 
Uh, and while they're giving that number to you in your Blueberry host, you're not necessarily making that distinction like, oh, well, while I'm getting Spotify stats separated out of my total listens, these aren't the IAB, they're not IAB certified. You're not making that distinction. So it's gone a little bit underreported there. There are other services such as the one that I use where Spotify is not broken out as a separate listening spot. And thus, I'm really not making the distinction that the Spotify stats are not IAB certified. I mean, that makes you wonder because, and we've talked about this on the show as well, uh, Spreaker, the platform that we're both talking about, you and I both host with Spreaker, they monetize their plays through Spotify as well now too. They they pass through uh, the advertisement, the dynamic ad insertion. How are they doing that if there's no certification? Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder how the how those agreements work. It's, I don't know, man. Like that one's. It's, I, I, it's interesting. We need standardization. We need standardization. We need one thing for all the companies. And everybody's got to get on board. And if they're not going to get on board, because as Todd has said in talking with ad buyers, oh well, they're close enough. Well, it turned out PodTracks numbers weren't close enough. <laughs> So why are we to believe that Spotify's numbers are going to be close enough or that anyone else's numbers are going to be close enough? Now, I will give Spotify one minor pass, very minor, not to be overblown. Spotify is a streaming company versus a download. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure if the IAB standards are set to streaming services as well as download services. So that would be that would be the only only possible distinction. I I do understand that there is a difference, but realistically when we are talking about the fact that almost every device uses progressive downloads and streaming itself is just progressively downloading, um I I cannot believe that the tech is so different there that we couldn't apply standards that fit across both. I, well, I, I agree. do not buy that. I, I agree. I do not think that that, is, that, that can be true. Um, I, I mean, that might that might be the argument that we get. Is, oh, the reason we don't have to do that is because streaming is different and we don't have the tech to count it properly yet. I say that's hooey if that's what we get eventually. So, Jay, let's get into – let's go ahead and wrap it up for today and let's talk about our currently listening podcasts i'm going to start because i've been really excited about this show for a long time and this week i finally got to sit down and watch the three episodes that are available right now i am a huge fan of swamp thing i we've talked about comic book movies a lot on this show you guys know i'm a comic book geek from swamp when thing. i was a kid but swamp thing is one of my favorites man that i i enjoyed the comics when i was a kid i watched both the movies that came out in the 80s the schlocky terrible movies both of them were really bad uh but wonderful in their own way and then especially there was a 90s tv series that was like sort of a sequel to the second movie uh mm. and I, I for me anyway it ran on usa i think it was just in syndication i don't think it was made by a network but i watched it on the usa network and it was just like central to that period of my youth. I don't know, from like six to 10, I was just a huge Swamp Thing fan. I really was. So hmm. when the DC Universe, their streaming network, uh, announced that there was going to be a Swamp Thing series in their first batch of original series, there's like Doom Patrol and they did uh, Teen Titans 
And well, I, I think they just call it Titans because they're not teens anymore. They're all a little grown up in that series. They say the F word and things. Um, so there's Titans, there's Doom Patrol, and now there's Swamp Thing just premiered at the end of May. Uh, the sad news is that the series got canceled before it ever started, really. It was supposed yeah. to be 13 episodes. They only made 10 because it was very expensive. And there was a disagreement in the tax breaks, apparently, or some of the things <laughs> that they were supposed to get, the tax incentives. The, like It ended up costing the network like 40 or $50 million more than they thought they were going to spend on it because they misunderstood the tax breaks. So it got canceled very likely that this 10 episode series is all we're ever going to get, but I am soaking it up. The, th- the first three episodes are out right now on the streaming service. They're great. Uh, and I've been listening to a companion show called Swamp Thing Radio. Uh, two ladies host it, uh, Carolyn and uh, what is her name? Wendy, I want to say. Yeah, I think it's Carolyn and Wendy. And uh, they are part of a larger network that is all about the entire DC streaming service. It's DC TV radio, I think is, is what it's called. There's several podcasts, but these two ladies host one about Swamp Thing. They both like me are lifelong Swamp Thing fans. They've done episodes about the movies. They've done episodes about the old TV series. They've done episodes about the, uh, Alan Moore run of the comic books. And now they're, they're doing individual episodes about the TV show as well as it comes out. So check it out. Swamp Thing radio. And the link is in the show notes. Well, I'll tell you something that I've been listening to here, Joel, this last week. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Uh, oh, my. Yeah. You know, I, was, I decided to jump into this true crime stuff and give some true crime stuff a listen. And uh, Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Now, what's interesting about her show is it sounds very much like it was produced for television. Um, but... It's not. It's the podcast. And so I highly recommend it. She goes through a whole litany of different crimes. It's not just, you know, murders, but there's kidnappings, uh, there's bank robberies, there's all sorts of different crime stories, all presented by Nancy Grace. It's a very good listen. It's it's quick. It's easy. You know, her longest episodes, I think, are, you know, maybe 40 minutes. And she even does a crime alert series, which is only a minute long. I believe that is syndicated on radio, uh, that if you just want a quick little, you know, crime story, you know, in in your life, just a little morsel, just a little taste. Uh, there's a one minute version, uh, of what she's doing as well. So crime stories with Nancy Grace, highly recommended. Interesting. Jay, she had kidnapped that girl. Oh my (laughs) goodness. That's all all I can think about is Nancy's being so perplexed by what has happened. She does have a very thick Southern accent. I, I, I kind of like it, that. though. I, I was, anytime, as a Southerner myself, <laughs> as, as a good old country boy myself, anytime that someone ascends to a high level of national fame while maintaining a very thick Southern accent, I am f- Matthew McConaughey, for instance, big fan, big fan of Matthews. All right, all right, all right. All right, Jay, let's wrap up uh, this show, whether we have Southern heritage or not, uh, with Grace, Nancy Grace. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Tell them where you can find uh, you on Twitter. I am at the real Pod Vader on Twitter, facebook.com slash Podvader page. Uh, for Facebook, you can email me nextfanup at gmail.com. Really would love to get some feedback. Uh, to hear what you're what what you're missing from our show, uh, I'll bet you today uh, you're not going to find a lot missing. You're probably going to have more questions uh, that we that than we have answers for. But 
I will tell you one thing, just like Nancy Grace, I will find the answers. (laughs) I have a particular set of skills. Yes. I will find you. My name is Joel Sharpton. You can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life. You can find me everywhere else at propodcastingservices.com. And you can find us here and every week, alwayslisteningpod.com. Until next week, I'm Joel. I'm Jay, not of Southern Heritage, but still number one dad. And we are always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raver. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.